everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mel. And I'm Cho Minardi. Well, we have a very exciting guest on our show. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. We have Demna. And first name only. First name only. A mononym wonder. Yes. Designer of Balenciaga. Creative director of Balenciaga. And he's coming up on the second half of the show. He does not do a lot of interviews, so this is one to stick around for. But first, Allie and Mark, can you guys introduce yourselves? I'm Mark Holgate, the fashion features director of American Vogue. I hesitated there because they changed my title recently. Um, I'm Allie Mitchler-Kopelman. I'm director of fashion initiatives. Okay, what does that mean, Allie? Because it's a little so, opaque. So um, I work on a lot of special fashion projects that we have here at Vogue, one of which is the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. Right, and I think if you could explain a little bit about what the, C- the CBFF is. Sure. So the CFDA is the Council of Fashion Designers of America. It's a not-for-profit organization dedicated to fostering American designers in a global economy. Um, There's also a membership program consisting of over 450 ready-to-wear accessories and jewelry designers, and they operate separately from us, but they – we work in tandem with them on the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. So when people talk – it sort of sometimes can be confusing with acronyms. CFDA is Council of Fashion Designers for America. CVFF. Is the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fashion Fund. Fund. Exactly. And that's like a program that we work on with them that's, you know, a joint venture. And how long has it been going? Well, it was established after 9-11, really since 2003, to help emerging designers cultivate the next generation of American fashion talent. Um, Since its inception, the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund format has kind of shifted to align with our ever-changing world and industry. So 
In 2020, the Fashion Fund was actually adapted into a grant program known as a Common Thread to address the urgent need to support American fashion brands impacted by COVID, but it's historically been a competition, and we're returning to that format this year, which is very exciting. So we've accepted 10 finalists, and we will ultimately award one winner with $300,000 and two runners-up for $100,000. It's a nice chunk of change. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's funny because it, it it started. <laughs> sure it started. I think. I think we. Start, I remember having. I started at Vogue in December two thousand and three, and I remember that was that program launched. Uh, I think kind of around the same time because we had done. Who it were before. the first winners, Mark? Uh, Prenza Schooler. Oh wow! Jack and, Jack yeah. and Lazaro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who are some examples of? fashion funder veterans or graduates who we would all think of now and be like, oh. Rodarte, mm. Talfar. Mm. Tom Brown. Tom Brown, mm. Christopher now, John Rogers. Mm. Yeah, Tom's on the committee now. Emily mm-hmm. Bodie won. Emily, Emily Bode Bode. is a runner-up. Aurora James, who's yeah. also on the committee. Yes. Um, Joseph Altazara. Joseph Altazara, yes. famous, uh, yes. Sherman so the 10, 10 finalists are decided, but then – is it still the case that in November, one winner and two runners-up will be announced? Uh, no. Okay. We have a little surprise, which oh, I actually can't talk about. We, I can't talk oh. about it. It's not been announced yet, but it will be out in the coming weeks. Uh, we will be announcing uh, the winners sometime in October. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But, on. Chloe, you're right in that there will be one winner and two runners-up. Okay. Which All is right. very exciting. Why should people be excited about this? Is this like a fun way to watch the future of fashion? Is this just a, like a reality show, fight to the death? Like what What should people be engaged? Why should uh, listeners be engaged with this? I mean, I think we've had some incredible kind of talents come out of the fund. And I I just think at the end of the day, it's, it's a kind of really great track record. Um, we've had some really terrific people come through the fund. And... Um, I, I think if you care about fashion, you kind of care about who's coming up next and where they're coming from. And I think what's been really great about the fund in recent times is how many of the designers have challenged the idea of what success looks like or what it means to be successful or how they can run their businesses. You look at someone like Telfar with his amazing shows or mm-hmm. yeah, Christopher John Rogers, who's thinking about, you know, I want to show this this time of the year rather than stick to the usual fashion week. I don't know. I think it's just... Shaking um, things up a bit. Yeah, yeah. redefining I, what it yeah. looks like to be a brand. Choma, you're on the judging panel as well. I am. I am on the judging panel. Are all panel. three of you on the judging panel? Yeah, we no, spent... I'm, no, I'm... Oh, you're no. the ringleader. Exactly. <laughs> you're the slash, ringleader of slash the circus. mother for all yeah. of the yes. designers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't want you to have to single anyone out, but was there any moment that you loved or you thought this is what makes this an ex- exciting competition this one garment was thrilling to me this one thing that one finalist said was really resonated i mean i think there's i'm always interested because there's so many different perspectives at the table you know you've got editors like you know mark and myself and you've got designers like tom brown and um you know steven who oversees the cfda Kolb. So, Kolb, my bad um Rupa Patel at Saks from a from a buyer's perspective. So you've got that retail perspective. So it's interesting to see who everybody and also Paloma Elsessa, yeah. who's mm-hmm. a, a model who's wearing the clothes and also can buying the clothes because she has such great taste. So I'm always interested to just hear everyone else's yeah everyone else's opinions and it gets very lively and people have their Does favorites. It, get it does get yeah. heated. It does get heated. You know, it's two hours and we we thrash it out. And I think. You know, because how many are you deciding from? 
Is that good? Uh, we had 56. Oh, my yeah. God. You only yeah. had two hours to whittle it down from 56 to 10? Well, we uh, received well, hundreds of applications. We're, we're, we're <laughs> professionals. We know what we're doing. There's two phases. There's the first phase, and then there's the second phase. So this was from the second phase of 56. Oh, good grief. You must be exhausted. It was quite tiring. I needed to lie down after. <laughs> <laughs> Fashion's hard work. Can you just each give me one of the 10 finalists that you're particularly excited about? Silence. <laughs> what do we think? I can say whose portfolio I, I yes. really liked. I loved Tanner Fletcher's portfolio. Tell me about it. It was really charming. It had this beautiful fabric on both sides that was like one of the suits they had made for Bad Bunny recently. Hmm. And then they also do an intro video kind of introducing themselves and their brand. And that was really charming. I really liked um, this brand called Diatima, a designer called Rachel Scott. She's um, Jamaican-born and she... Um, she works with craftswomen in Jamaica to create these really beautiful um, crochet pieces that she integrates into her tailoring. And I've always wanted to to sort of own her clothes. And I just really appreciate what she's doing in her work. So I was very excited to see her make the cut. Mark? Well, there were several, actually. I mean, I have to say what was interesting was... Um, I heard I, I discovered a designer or two that I didn't really know very much about, like uh, uh, the Forest Designs uh, kind of menswear label uh, with a chap with a very interesting kind of backstory. Um, I love Forest Forest Designs, yeah. Okay. So I was kind of very interested in his backstory and what he was kind of doing. One of the other judges had presented his work because usually what happens is we all get assigned a certain amount of. Applicants, and then we present the ones that we feel are strongest. But that doesn't mean that other people can't be brought up into the conversation. Someone else will say, "Oh, but what about so and so? I really love X, or I really love Y." But sometimes you hear about designers that you know we know a lot of the people, right? I mean, we we follow our fashion world very very closely in America, but we don't know everyone. So I was quite interested to hear about this guy. I didn't know very much about him. Great. I mean, I think you know it's it's. Yeah, I mean, we've each. And mentioned one person that just, you know, whether we actually perhaps presented their, their work or they connected with us in some way, we just, we, you know, we were aware of them. But it's obviously we have 10 finalists and, you know, we spend the next few months getting to know them. And sometimes mm-hmm. where you think you're going to start is not where you end up. And it's just it's a really interesting process. It, we get to know them. They get to know us. Um uh, but nothing is decided. It's We have those 10, and I'm really excited about this year. I think it's a great group. What I think is so great about the Fashion Fund is that it becomes a community, mm. and the designers help each other. You're really in the CFDA and Vogue family from here on out, and it's just a great supportive network. Uh, speaking of community, this is the time of year when uh, – a certain small community travels from show to show to show around the globe for different resort shows. And your Instagram is flooded with people in Seoul or in Los Angeles or in Mexico. For the people who don't know, why are all of these fashion houses hosting shows all around the globe at much fanfare and expense? Um, well, I mean, look, obviously – the whole notion of what used to be called cruise collections is a kind of old-fashioned term from, that came from this idea of like clothes that appeared in the dead of winter and people were thinking of going away for the summer or not for the summer, for, for summer warm, I should say, uh, in January or whatever, February, uh, around the holiday time. And then that morphed as, you know, I think people just seem to want to buy more clothes 
more times around the year into into what became called the resort collections. And then, of course, we added pre-fall. And at one point, we had felt like we were seeing fashion four times a year. But in terms of what you're asking, I mean, I, I, I think it's probably two things. I think one thing is that designers love to travel, right? And you look at someone like John Galliano, he, he, a lot of his inspiration was collections in the past. He would go to kind of far-flung destinations and create these incredible inspiration books. So it's it's also that idea that, you know, it's, it's a way of uh, – recognizing and honoring and celebrating perhaps a part of the world that you know, fashion has tended to kind of ignore and maybe not thought as much about, you know? Do we do we hear from brands that, like, are they actually successful in courting these new markets? Or is it more of, I feel like for Chanel, it's often been such a successful PR keep, right. gambit. No? I feel like it's a big social media push, too. Yeah. Right. Like, did this exist before Instagram? Yeah, it existed I, 100 years ago. <laughs> a, a traveling circus? <laughs> no, but the concept of cruise, right? It goes back to, I mean, didn't like Coco Chanel release the first cruise collection? Because everyone was going to Biarritz. Well, yeah, she was inspired by the women who who, who holidayed in Biarritz. It's for people who vacation is a verb. Yeah. Um, okay. Exactly. <laughs> I guess we want to know what the big shows are coming up. Yeah. What are the big shows? Well, I, mean, I mean, this weekend you're going I'm to... going to go to Mexico City for Maria Grazia Churi's Dior show. And then I think Louis Vuitton is going to show their resort in Como. Uh, Lake Maggiore. And then uh, Max Mara is also showing their resort in, I believe, Stockholm. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine how many air miles you would get if you did all of them. Oh, well, don't worry. I feel like there's plenty <laughs> of people who are yeah. racking up those frequent flyers. <laughs> Um, the Cannes Film Festival also kicked off this week, which is always, I'd say, my favorite red carpet, much more so than Why any of the Chloe? award season. People because go, it's fun. Uh, go for it. Okay. People go yeah. all out. Were there Who any your outfits favorites? people loved? I mean, loved loved um, Elle Fanning. I thought she looked and amazing. Alexander McQueen. Yeah, and that wonderful full dress. Um, I have to say my favorite thing about Cannes is always – it's like one little airport, and there's just a phalanx of paparazzi camped out there. And so you get great airport style. Yeah. Iris Law looked great in this little mini skirt and a sort of Bridget she Bardo. She has great style. I always think the models look good. Yeah, the models. I mean, Bella famously has – I don't know if you'll see sightings of her this year, but she's been the queen of Cannes in past years. She was I mean, Scaparelli, right? The yeah, black that, with yeah, that, that, that was incredible. amazing. Yeah. Cannes is a bit much, but okay. <laughs> Oh, and we've got to mention um, Helen Mirren and her hair transformation. Oh, yeah, she has blue hair. She has blue hair. You know, that and matches I think, her dress. Yeah, which I thought was great because you always think of, you know, when you think of older women having this violet hair, it, it has there's certain cliches attached to that hairstyle. And I think she just looked amazing. It was a little bit punk. It was not, not expected at all. No, she looked fabulous. And she looked fab. Um, Choma, were you excited that a certain baby name was revealed this week? Oh my god! Of course, of course, Riza. Um, okay, so by the way, we were I'm following. So I've been following old and this. So white that I saw it. I was like RZA. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody had been wondering what Rihanna and um, ASAP Rocky's baby's name actually was, and I think they kept it a secret for a, a whole year, actually, and. I think over the weekend it was it was Baby Riz's birthday, and somehow I think the Daily Mail or Backgrid or one somebody got hold of the birth certificate and revealed that Rizza was oh, it was, was the leaked? baby's name. It was leaked. Oh, that's so sad. But then on Riz's first birthday, they they had a, a big party and 
really leaned into the fact that, you know, baby baby Rizza is named after possibly one of the greatest, you know, rap pioneers in the world and had, you know, Rihanna dressed up as old dirty bastard who was a member of Wu-Tang. Um, so they leaned into the loop. They leaned into it and he had he had this like special little mask that's that was a, the Wu-Tang logo. So it was it was really sweet. Don't you just love a like a three letter name? Like Max, Rizza, Sam. Okay, it's not like Max. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's about as pregnant as I am. Right. Maybe. So she's about to have a I could Gemini only hope. baby. I hope. Gemini baby, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, her baby, baby Riz is a Taurus, so I'm very team Taurus. I'm a Taurus myself. Okay. So, well, and you had your Timothée. <laughs> I did. I spoke to Timothée Chalamet. I wrote about Timothy Chalamet for Vogue. I mean, there were so many rumors about this campaign that he was doing with Chanel, and some of it leaked. I mean, talk about a slow news day, but okay. No, but people <laughs> were excited that he has this. I mean, yet to be released campaign with um, with Martin Scorsese, and he was very excited to talk about you know, working with Martin Scorsese, but the campaign that was released was um, uh, Bleu de Chanel. So it's a fragrance, a a men's fragrance. And um, so there were these campaign images uh, shot by Mario Sorrenti. But the big big campaign with Martin Scorsese, the sort of fashion film a la like Baz Luhrmann and Nicole Kidman is coming out later. Was he everything you hoped he'd be and more? So I'm... I'm a, I'm a fan of his, but I'm not like a stan. I you know I I think he's extremely. <laughs> I like talented. the distinction between fan <laughs> be stan. <laughs> Never heard it described. I, that I, Is it like stan more of like a super fan? Totally, yeah. I, I like it. I just it's it's okay. a good distinction. Anyway, it's, it's a distinction in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like I'm I'm a fan of his in a like loose way, but yeah. not like a, obsessive. So I wasn't, you know, I was just expecting to interview him and just talk to him as if he was a regular person but he is extremely charming and he has this way of it's a classic kind of media training that you ask the person a ton of questions but because he's so like cute and charming you sort of just want to have a conversation with him and talk about yourself and he's like oh, so tell me where did you grow up and this and the other and I just thought this is That's a trap sneaky media wasting, training wasting time but he he he's so charming and he's so smart and and the uh, hair is good. And the hair is good and the style is good. And we talked a bit about fashion. And he grew up going to Topshop. I grew up going to Topshop. So I felt a certain <laughs> kinship. We both wore women's clothing. I mean, what's not lo- to love? We both wear women's clothing. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> shopping in the women's department at Topshop. Uh, who attended the sale of the century? Uh, me. <laughs> tell, um, tell us everything. I want to hear more so, because I, I followed eagerly on Instagram, but oh, sure it was such wasn't a thing. So waiting in line. No, so basically, um, uh, Chloe Seventy was selling off all, all her entire kind of archive, everything that she'd had in, st- in storage for charity and, or for Chloe? No, for Chloe. Okay. <laughs> so and Lynn Yeager and contributing Vogue editor and. Sally Singer of Amazon Fashion were also involved, as was... Um, involved in that they were also selling items. They were also... Okay. And Mickey Boardman, formerly yeah. of Paper, R.A.P. Paper, was also involved. So it was kind of this roster of like iconic style New York style icons who were selling all of their clothing. And Liana Statenstein, who used to work here... Um, she wrangled the troops for this. She wrangled... She She's famous for clearing out you know, the world's most epic closets, including Chloe's, and that Chloe and her had this conversation and and she kind of persuaded Chloe to be part of it. 
And, you know, I, it, there was a lot of discussion securing the exclusive. It was people were buzzing about this sale. It's fascinating to weeks me. Weeks before. I mean, days before it people still care happened. about Chloe that much. I mean, I, I love Chloe, but I'm of a certain oh. age. And- oh, well, she opened the Proenza Schooler show and looked incredible. And I think every time you see her, you're, you're always kind of reminded, well, she has, she's a really good actress and she's going to be in the new feuds, new series yeah. of feud. No, I, I'm, I guess. I'm very pro Chloe. I just, the, the images the I saw kids were, in the line. it was like, yeah. Can I tell you, I, I think because she is when you look at the way that uh, Miu Miu has so brilliantly kind of tapped recently kind of tapped into you know in a very kind of modern forward way but still kind of harked back a little bit to when it first started in the 90s and it was so great you know that kind of slightly utilitarian but a little bit off kilter and kind of girly to use a very kind of um, unpopular terrible word these days but um, uh, and some of those recent collections have kind of brought a little bit of that spirit back. And then when you think about Chloe in those campaigns, right, that she did And you those... think about Chloe in kids. I remember going to yeah. the movie oh, theater yeah. As, yeah. as a very, yeah. like that a was teenager, super... and seeing her. And it was so impactful. That movie just was yeah. so impactful. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I don't know whether the kids in line have seen kids right. or how they know. Because I was asking... You know, my colleagues who are a little bit younger, like, how did you discover Chloe? How did you? Oh, I think I discovered her. It was like Pinterest. the grandma at the sale. Like, how, I am, did, like, you how did you know about, about her? <laughs> she's like one of, like, she's, how did you know about her? You know, people say maybe they discovered her through Pinterest. Maybe, you know, and I have a very, like, visceral memory of going to see kids and being like, wow, New York I do is too. the coolest that was, place. I yeah. was super. On the planet. Yeah. You know, just, you know, it was just. Movie. I was a last days with disco person personally. Right. Okay. But yeah. Love, okay. love her in that. Yeah. But yeah, so the, the, the line, it was, it was so well behaved. There was so many kids there. They all I mean, made truly, friends. The sale started at noon, right? And people started lining up at seven a.m. Six. And that's and crazy. I did not buy anything. You did. You did. No, I didn't. But I, I get very rattled in those situations. I tried to buy a scarf from our colleague Lynn Yeager, and she. The price, was, the price was too high. <laughs> she was like, I can't sell it to a friend. And oh, my God. She's she just got, oh, she got she, all in oh, her I head she, about I think, it. I think she could. I think she could. She <laughs> just was like, I was like, it's really cute. And she was like, maybe I need it. And it was, it was like, I was like, oh, but it, this. It's She's funny. Like, I mean, markets also still have this incredible allure and power to draw us in, right? Because it was interesting. I was talking to the stylist Johanna Labassi this week. And she mentioned she was in London. And she mentioned she went to the Comme de Garçon uh, market market, Dover Street market market, you know, which is their big kind of incredible sale. Oh, and, I missed um, it. It was in London. Oh, okay. So I never heard fair, fair. It's, I, I went to I one did. in New York. It was amazing. Well, first of all, I'm not good at trying on clothes in front of other people and that kind of becomes part <laughs> of the thing. And, I'm, I'm, and I mean a coat. It's not like I'm taking my pants off to try and a pair of jeans. I'm literally, I'm too shy even to try <laughs> to on the coat. <laughs> yeah, really. Literally. I'm like, is there a corner I can go stand in? <laughs> You've got a curtain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm like I'm ripping so, my dress off. I'm so pathetic. You gotta get it down. You gotta I'm get so down pathetic. into yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I'm so pathetic. But anyway, it's it's interesting. But yeah, and she did actually say that she uh, uh, had heard that they're going to do a market market in New York later this year. Ooh. So maybe Scoop. even I will I will get over my fear of yeah putting on a jacket <laughs> in front of people. Thank you both so deeply. It was so much fun. It's been fun. So much fun. The run through will be back in just a moment. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q and A. 
But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back with the run through. Choma, I think this next interview was especially exciting for you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal for anyone who who knows about fashion, who understands that, you know, the creative director of Balenciaga, Demna, is a huge deal. He's one of the the biggest, most exciting names in fashion right now, for sure. 100%. He also created Vetmore. He also designed for Margiela and Louis Vuitton. And for people who, as Choma likes to say, have been living under a fashion rock, um, <laughs> you've probably seen Demna's Balenciaga. He goes from high conceptual to low pop to, I mean, he really covers the cultural gambit in his shows and presentations. Uh, I've never been to a Balenciaga show, but Choma, what have been some of your highlights of Balenciaga shows that you've gone to? Yeah, I mean, there was the show that he did in New York at the Wall Street uh, Stock Exchange, which was... Really cool, really mesmerizing. Just to be in that building was amazing. And that was sort of a send-up of capitalist culture. Yeah, you know, I think Demna's always kind of interested in that tension between high and low culture, and he's not afraid to, yeah, engage with those kind of socio-political themes. Any other show that you went to of Balenciaga that sort of peaks in your memory? Yeah, there was that really beautiful snow globe show where there was actually this amazing how would I describe it like this tundra this huge globe and there was a snowstorm within it and the were models you were you in the globe or no okay. the, everybody was outside of the globe but the models were in it oh wow and and it was right about the same time that the that the war broke out in in Ukraine so it was a very em- emotional and show. Demna, as most people know, is from Georgia, yes. near in the former Soviet Union. Yes, and he left on 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 each of our seats. There were these massive T-shirts that were in the colors of the Ukrainian flag as a tribute, right? Um, and there was a personal tribute, and he spoke. There was a voiceover okay. before the show started that was, I think, a Georgian poem, or it was a very moving show. He's, I mean, he's always great at making 
big, memorable moments that that translate onto social media, but also really are sort of writ large on the cultural conversation. And the flip side of that, he's also... He's he also when he wants to turn the volume down and have the focus be on the clothes, he knows how to do it. He literally did that with his first couture show and oh, showed, right. There was no soundtrack, right? There was no soundtrack. It was, you know, in 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 this very small traditional couture sort of space. I remember in the pandemic being shipped this virtual reality headset, you know, not knowing what the hell to do with it, but then <laughs> putting it on and discovering that there was this Balenciaga show inside my headset and being walking around, wandering around my apartment, chasing these models. It was That's so fun. freaking amazing. Yeah, it was pretty fun. I love fun. that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, he knows exactly when to turn the volume up and to blow something big, but also when to like really put a spotlight on the craft and the clothing. And I think he did that so well with Couture. One moment when that maybe was not the way he planned was with two ad campaigns this past right, right. Uh, winter. Everyone is heard about this, but there were two Balenciaga ad campaigns that people reacted very strongly to. They accused uh, the brand of supporting child pornography. Tucker Carlson got involved. It was a whole sort of media mess. However, Demna did the first interview afterward with Vogue about it, and he addressed it directly and apologized for it, and it was very delicately handled. Now he's moving on, and Choma and I were sort of saying, you know, we know so much about Demna, the myth maker and mm. the maestro behind this important fashion house. Who is Demna the man? What What is – who is Demna off duty? Yeah. And I think we really got that. He rarely does interviews. He's very shy. He doesn't like to be photographed. And he came into the studio the Tuesday after the Met and he was such a delight to be with. He was so charming, so disarming I found. So we really – I feel like lucked out and and got a a very nice uh, facet of Demna that you don't see every day. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it was, he was just completely himself, it felt like, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, it was nice to have a conversation with him on that level. Yeah. Choma wore Balenciaga. Of course. As you'll soon hear. Hi, Demna. I'm actually wearing Balenciaga. Hello, I can see that. Yes, I can see that. Choma was a lot of corny. I'm terrible. I'm terrible. It's bad. Well, thank you for having me. It's like wearing a full look to the show. (laughs) I know. I couldn't resist. But I I think you added some holes in it, no? It's it's been worn a lot. It's been, It's been like... It has a life of it. It has a life. Describe the sweater. So it's like a Ferrile sweater that's been completely destroyed. and um, deconstructed Deconstructed. How would you describe it, Demna? The same way? Yeah. I mean, it was in the Afterworld collection. It was okay. during COVID we did right. when we oh, did the video game. Oh wow! Yeah, so I actually uh, saw it once in real. <laughs> you You're kidding me? <laughs> because then it was. Oh, because everyone was in yeah, lockdown. It was, yeah, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was all on Zoom. We used oh, to do all so those funny. feelings. So yeah. I have a pandemic. Sweater yes, on. you have it a is. pandemic collector's item. <laughs> well, I'm holding on tight until it completely disintegrates. <laughs> Um, but yeah, <laughs> it may take a while. Yeah, yeah, it will. It will. Anyway, anyway, so we should get back to the actual. No, no, Demna, we're so thrilled to have you. And today you're also wearing a sweatshirt. But can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about what's what's happening with this sweater? Was this from the Mud Collection? Yeah, that was from the October show, uh, summer '23. I guess I never know exactly. This is the right season. Yeah, and as you can see, it has all the stains, and um, you know, it looks destroyed and worn in for for a while, which it's not. But it's a lot of effort that went into making it and treating it into looking like something that had a long life. 
before. Is there a secret? A lot of your clothes are, are very distressed. Is there one secret tool that you would use, like, for example, to destroy this hood of this? Well, there is this, we have, like, the whole atelier, basically, of destruction. Oh, my <laughs> God. Atelier where, of destruction. Like, it's different materials. <laughs> I, actually, when we do, like, samples, we use, uh, I don't do it, but we have the team of people who are really professional destroyers. Professional and they, destroyers. <laughs> and they, I know they use a lot of makeup and a lot of, like, uh, shoe, shoe polish material and stuff wow. like that. Because we also try to use materials that don't smell too oh, right. right. That must be it must be tough to find the right balance. Yeah. And then in production obviously it's industrialized. And that's the hard part. Often pieces that look completely like destroyed and, you know, stained, etc. that sometimes people question why would they, you know, why would they cost that much or, you know, anything yeah. like that. It actually involves a lot of work, a lot more than just making a clean, super, you know, yeah. crisp t-shirt or, or sweatshirt or something. So I'm not comparing it to the couture process, but there is a lot of work additionally to just making the garments. And I love that. I love giving a garment a face that tells some kind of story. And, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that even the... Um, is every piece kind of slightly different if they're all sort of... How does it, how are you mm. able to... Yeah, yeah. Slightly, They're I never imagine. exactly the same because you cannot really control Replicate the process that. so much. And I like that too because it gives it an identity, you know. So it's quite rare in in our business to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do people ever complain like, well, I wanted the hole on the other side like that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or I wanted more holes on all of the side. Yeah, yeah. You I get a lot of that. more holes. Like, I've yeah. done. <laughs> like Choma. Yeah. But, you know, there are also moments where I feel like I want something super crisp and not, it's not like, it's not the only thing I like, obviously, right. but I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah, your your last show was quite kind of focused on tailoring very Yeah, there was precise. like a very... Um, that was the anti-destruction. No? Yeah, it was like a reset show. I needed to have that show be very like immaculate in some way, mm. you know, to be able to to reset the button and to kind of put things in perspective and to almost like restart in some way, going back to my roots of what really matters in fashion and uh, it was making clothes. And that show was about that, you know, so there was not really much place for that yeah. extra layer of... <laughs> have Have you maintained that renewed passion since then? I mean, this passion has always been in me, you know, ever since I remember myself, I think, since um, before I went to, like, school, like, four or five years old, I, I, I was into making stuff, like, making clothes. Mm -hmm. And the March show was a moment in which I really went back to that. I needed to kind of back to my roots in design and and um, and to really, like, understand what drives me to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only it's there, it's, like, multiplied a hundred times, I think, ever since. Uh, I actually can't wait to get back on the plane tomorrow and go back to Paris and start the fittings for next couture. And, you know, it's it's like, I love doing that. You know, when yeah. you love doing that, there is nothing else that you want to do most of the time. And I'm like, I'm kind of blessed to have, to work, to have a job that involves that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you've talked quite a lot about your childhood, but I'm interested to know what Demna the student was like. And I know you studied in Antwerp, right? Mm, yeah. So tell tell me a little bit about what that experience like. I know that that Royal Academy of Fine Arts is a, is a really prestigious school. Which I didn't know about, by the way, when oh, I went really? there. Yeah, I didn't know how, <laughs> so how did that you it was. Pick it? How did you pick it? It was the most affordable tuition fee per year that I could actually afford. Oh, I so love that. <laughs> was back then, it changed ever since. But <laughs> it was about 500 euros a year because it's a, like a royal academy. So it was kind of financed through the state. And, and then the school, you know, offered a lot of things that I was looking forward to, especially in like in terms of like art education, not only fashion. 
Um, but I didn't realize how important, uh, you know, its legacy was actually when yeah, I came there. Yeah, tell us a there. bit about the legacy, about what makes it such an important school. Well, Van Gogh studied there to start with. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I did he, not know that. He, he, yeah, but well, not in on fashion department, <laughs> no, obviously. No, no. It didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, that would be a twist. <laughs> but yeah, that would be a twist. <laughs> but I found it, I found out about it like when actually I was already there. And um, apart from the fashion curriculum, we had to do all the other things like art history and semiotics and all of that. And looking back now in retrospect, I realized that this is actually the part that impacted me the most, the, the, the art school part of it not so much fashion because mm. um i we did like new drawing classes for example which i realized recently it really gave me the understanding of human anatomy the perspective um i drew but i didn't i was not used to draw like three-dimensional things in two dimension and that was really important today it really defines a little bit my my relation to you know garment and body and the relation between the two and i think it's a lot of knowledge that i got during this these courses as well as art history that I think really helped me ultimately to find myself in, in, in the design world. That's, um, it's something I didn't see at the, mo at the time. I felt like, oh, it's another course I have to do just because I had to like, do the whole checklist. But looking back, it's actually the part of the uh, of four years I spent there that I think impacted me most as a designer today. What was the culture there? Like, what were the... Did you did you form a lot of friendships there? Or, like, what was your... The social side of being at a school in Antwerp? That was very social, actually. Right. There was a lot of, um, like, working together with other students. We would spend uh, evenings and nights sometimes working together. First of all, because it was more fun, mm. but also because we could learn from each other. There were some people who had more experience in pattern making, some people who were better drawers. It really kind of put the foundation in working in the team. Like, I think that my skills of working with my team today, they were defined kind of back then in collaborating with other students, fellow students, sharing, you know, our ideas, a lot of it, a lot of things we learned ourselves, you know. Do you feel like that helped you figure out what your design process would be and that sort of trained you in that way? Or you had to sort of evolve that on your own? I still didn't figure out what my design process is, to be honest. It changes all the time. But but it gave, yeah, it gave the kind of a foundation to that. Yeah. And you need to be able to exchange with people to know what's the right decision to make. For sure. Yeah. We're all curious about your daily routine. Tell us a bit about, like, what your day looks like. Well, because I read also that you meditate every morning. I was very impressed. Yeah, I how do. Many minute, how I many do. minutes do you do? Well, it depends. Weekends is longer. During okay. the week, especially if I'm in Paris, it's the shortest. It's like seven, eight minute <laughs> meditations yeah. when I'm in Paris. Do you use an app to help you? Or? I do sometimes, but now less and less. I okay. feel like I feel more comfortable being in silence and okay. just focusing on. Have you done I'm that a long time? Focusing. Well, like in the weekends, I do about half an hour, and it's really that's the best. Like half an hour is really the perfect period. I try to start my my days with that, uh, with meditation or just like you know having self time. Mm -hmm. I think that's really something I've learned that is important. Uh, to have that space, especially during pandemic, it was something that I, well, kind of had a luxury, if I can say so, to yeah. practice because yeah, yeah. you are at home. So you kind of, uh, and then I spend a lot of post, as much time as I can with my husband and our dogs and kind of not being in the work mode at all until midday. Okay. I start working at noon. I've learned this working with Mark Jacobs uh, back in the day. And I really thought that's a very good arrangement to, you know, to really have this self-time yeah yeah i feel like like i can start at 
earlier, right. but then I feel like I missed out on myself. And I think it is important to give yourself the time to start. And then I'm like kind of, you know, flexible with the day. So, but every day is different. I don't know. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to meditate and I'm, you know, I'd rather just do and nothing. Can you tell us about your dogs? My dogs. <laughs> She's they... a big dog person. <laughs> big dog person. Well, I'm a very big dog. I mean, in general, like, I, I love to be around animals and I grew up also with animals around. But my, my pets are really, they kind of rule my life. I mean, they define what, <laughs> where we go on holiday, like how, you know, we plan our... Do they come on holiday? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, that's now since three days. It's it's quite a nightmare for me not to have them Aww. around. Yeah, yeah, it's two chihuahuas. Ca- you know, oh, two I mean, chihuahuas. Yeah, what yeah. are their names? Cookie and Chiquita. And, like, <laughs> and, you know, chihuahuas have quite some character. You need to be yeah. able to deal with oh, them. They have such attitude. I love it, it. Yeah, they have attitude and they really, like, let you know okay. things. So. so they're in Zurich. Your home base is Zurich, right? Yeah, in Geneva. Oh, in Geneva, oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, but now they're in Paris waiting for me to be back because <laughs> okay. I have, yeah, it's a bit Do they of a... take the train back and forth? Or the yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, and they love it. They love their travel bags. <laughs> it's a nice it's train like, ride. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't love it? Someone carries you all the way. I know, you know? it's, it's like, very can nice. Can I train with that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tired of being a person. But it's this moment of kind of unconditional, you know, when you're playing with that, like, I really, it's kind of like meditation. Yeah. Yeah. It's very healthy, I have to say. I'm sort of curious about what you love about being in New York because I know... You know, you're so plugged into the culture. What do you What do you love, look forward to when you come here? Is there anything that you absolutely have to do mm-hmm. in New York? What do you notice about the style of people in New York versus Europe? It's interesting. Like, I thought about it. Like, I thought, what do I love about New York? And I realized that one thing I really, I you kind of... show here. I kind of do. Yeah, we did the show. But the one thing that I always do when I come to New York, or I at least try to do that, is like getting lost industry it's just not having a destination to go to walking around observing um i think you see a lot of interesting style here and like the way people you know dress and express i'm not saying fashion you know it's in general like even people who have no connection to it at all or no intention to be you know fashionable that's the people who interest me the most and you see plenty of those here much more i feel like europe especially like for example paris or geneva even more than that where i live is very controlled you like kind of like have to tick the boxes and like fit into the codes social dress codes let's put it that way which is something that i do not feel here i feel that freedom about the way we express ourselves through clothes and also People come and comment on like the way I look. Like somebody, I, know, like, I love oh. that about New York. Nobody does it in Europe. Nobody will come up to you and no. say you you have an amazing coat on here. They'll really? express. In Europe, no. people feel it's kind no. of almost like embarrassing to yeah, do that. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. It's much more uptight in that way. Yeah. yeah. And here, I had the, the little time that I've spent. I had a few people talk to me, start a conversation based on what I was wearing, and I find that really interesting because that's what I'm trying to do through my work. What do they say? I love that too. Like, love your hoodie situation. I had a few times. Oh, you have no shoes. Oh, no, you have shoes, but they don't look like shoes. I mean, it's that kind <laughs> oh of... Oh, my God, you're not wearing shoes. <laughs> yeah, you they're like, they're... But... You have to describe them, Chloe. Please describe it's the sock shoes. shoes. Okay. Demna is wearing what look like black stockings, and then you look closer, and there's a thin rubber sole on his feet, but it's <laughs> it's very discreet. So it really just looks like you're padding around in black socks. Ah. I love this. But that's kind of like questioning the rule situation. I think that's what fashion is about to me, at least. And that's what makes me so excited about it. And people do engage into this conversation here in New York, also in L.A., by the way, which is in a very different way. I think New York is much more like open in that way. I mean, maybe there is it's more condensed. There are more people 
per square meter, but <laughs> definitely love people per square meter. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And I like the fact that I get lost all the time. Like for me, I don't know where I am. And I like that unknown that whatever is everything is possible situation. Yeah. Mm. And I've noticed also, especially after the pandemic, the first time I came here, I've noticed there was this energy, like especially a lot of young people, like expressing themselves through how they, you know, what they wear, like breaking codes in some way. Get balanced or thrive trying. My name is Les and I'm the host of Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best. Join me for casual conversations about what it means to live a well-rounded life. I cover everything from how to make friends as an adult to how to create a workout routine that works for you to how to practice better financial wellness. Tune in for approachable conversations with wellness thought leaders and inspiring guests, as well as intimate solo chats with me for relatable advice. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and look out for new episodes every Tuesday. What's in, what's inspiring you right now? We've been, a big conversation here is about AI and about obviously how it will affect the way that we work. And obviously as, as, as writers, we're very... We're, we're curious about where this is going to go, but I think this is going to disrupt all creative fields. Mm. And you've always engaged with technology. And, you know, I remember getting the headset for your show and knocking around my apartment. And <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> it was like a really amazing way to engage because I'm not, a, I'm a technophobe. But yeah, tell me what what you're into. Does the AI thing, what does it spark for you? Are there other things that you're thinking about? AI, I mean, has there has been a lot of conversation around it recently and it sparks a lot of fear in me i have to say same uh because because it's so out of control and we don't really understand where it goes on the other hand that's the exciting part of it as well but it doesn't necessarily inspire me into like i think i'm getting actually the more we talk about ai the more i'm inspired by human and what it has to offer because that's a I, good pers- I, I'm, yeah. I like you know that. I feel like I try a lot of things I'm actually currently do try to do some design work involving AI and mm. see how that can translate into a product but it's it's very dumb I know still I so know. you know and there's there no is a, soul there's no soul to it there well, is no kidding I mean just like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, especially when when I'm looking at your clothes, everything has a, you know, even if it's destroyed, it has a suggestion of touch, right? And human, yeah. And yes. humanity. Yeah. Emotion. Yeah, emotion. I think emotion is an important uh, part that probably will take a while. Yeah. I'm not sure in like in like my lifetime that I'm going to like see that real, because they talk about that, you know, but I'm not sure about that. Taste, when you swag, you know, it's yeah, it's easy yeah. to type like, something right. and then it spits out options of right. a destroyed hoodie but the, the, the taste is something you cannot really learn I mean AI is a lot about feeding information having it learn it and then kind of yeah it's interesting I think it's super interesting and it's going to help us a lot with many things I think for creatives it's kind of we have you know I mean I'm quite careful about it yeah and um, I do not think that we can replace a human creativity at this point with that. And it will take a while probably to get close to that. I know. But I do have like an idea of using it for certain projects where I think it's competent 
by now, you know. In, in, You're delegating. In, yeah, yeah, kind of. Like, because there are labels of conf- entirely AI. Can you can get a dress that's AI generated, right? Yeah. Okay, but not a nice. One. And then it has like not a, a nice one. It has a weird sleeve instead of a collar, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and you're like, why is it there? You know. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of sometimes it's so senseless that it's interesting for now. I know. I am sort of fascinated by like watching the process of it, but. Mm. You know. Yeah, I try to play with like branding and logos with it. And that's kind of interesting where it goes because it's like it kind of tries to mess around with it in a way that I find knowing that's that's AI doing it, I find it interesting. If it would be like some graphic designer do that, I would never look at it. But knowing that it's AI, right. I'm like, okay, in that context there is something to it, conceptually speaking. Yeah. But I wanna be patient with that. I think that's I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Yeah, I it's like I don't wake up in the morning and say like, oh, I'm gonna like, what's new about it? Like, right. You know. No, 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 no. I, yeah. And I think personally, I think there should be. I agree with you. I think we need to be really careful about how we move forward, and hopefully, there'll be some regulation around mm. it because it's potential to go. Yeah, that's what's scary about. Yeah, it. that is what's really scary about it. What is inspiring you right now? Is there a song, a place, uh, something you've been watching? That's a hard question. Music, I, I I can't live without music. That's really something. What's the last thing you listened to? Oh, I listened to Diana Kroll this morning. Mm. Uh, I love being in New York and listening <laughs> to, I don't know, it's like kind of like, I create my own movie, you know. <laughs> it depends, like, and I can listen to like something completely different like this evening. And I like to create um, atmosphere around the place where I am. But I listen to so much different... Does your partner influence your... Um, yeah, but he doesn't like to listen to music because he's a composer, really? so he, he has music in his head. He always says, like, I'm the one playing music at home. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting wow. because he never does. So, But, of course, we have very similar tastes and it's, we influence, I think, each other. Do the have dogs a like having music on? Oh, yeah, they're used to, like, very hard, like loud music. Like, I like music when it's present, you know? Do you work with... Because I think Carl always worked with music. I'm always interested to see if... I need quiet, but maybe that's because I'm working with words. Do you work with music and what music do you work with? Yeah, I always work with music. I think some people on my team, they find it annoying often because, (laughs) you know, some people, as you say, they need to have that like quiet in order to focus. For me, it's different. It's really the opposite. But Choma, you can't have even instrumental music. I I understand about music with lyrics, but for me, like uh, classical music or jazz, I'm very happy to... Like bells. Yeah. (laughs) There's one, you know, I can listen to um, Alice Coltrane. Uh That's it. Okay. (laughs) And then it gets me in a very psychedelic kind Uh of, there's something, I like meditation and yoga, so Uh it gets me into like a more zen mood. But that is it. I've tried everything else. Mm. (laughs) But mostly I have to just sit in silence. And if I'm doing something that requires a tunnel of thought, Mm -hmm, it's not mm -hmm. happening with music. Yeah, that's why I give myself this, you know, moment in the morning of silence because then the rest of my day is full of sound. I don't know. I think I'm silence phobiac, kind of, in some way. I try to. Like, why do you think that is? I don't know. I find it hard sometimes to be. Like, I actually really had. It's an effort for me to do this, like, 30 minutes of silence. Why did you decide to do it? And how long have you been doing this practice? I've been doing it for, like, three years now, right. even a bit more, maybe. And so the pandemic, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it started with that. And it's also this, the moment of being grounded and being in touch with yourself. I mm-hmm. think that's what, what, what it helped me do a lot. It's about letting go, I guess. And I'm somebody who is really like a very much controlling person. Letting go even for 10 minutes a day is like a huge <laughs> effort, but also it makes you grow, you know, Yeah. as a human. 
Yeah. It really does. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Is there a dream person you would love to see wearing your clothes? I just realized last week I would like to design something for my mom, actually. Oh, yeah, I love I realized, that. Like, she, she was like, and I don't have anything from couture. <laughs> I realized <laughs> I started like I started my fashion obsession with like trying on my mom's clothes and making silhouettes out of it when I was small. And and her not having anything from my couture felt a little bit like a missed, uh, how to say, missed opportunity for me as a designer. So I think she's going to be my next Oh, I love that. Um, well, this show is personal. airing. It's so cool. Well, she's not going to be in the show, but I just felt like I want to design something for her yeah. to make her, you know, feel beautiful. Oh, I can't and wait to see that. Um, Does she come to the shows? Or? Yeah, yeah. She always comes. But, cool. you know, yeah. Your so mom? I promised her I'm going to do something for her. It's like when you design for the person, it's a very different process than when you do a ready-to-wear collection. You design for people, like for, mm. some, you know, this yeah. kind of anonymous, you, you don't like necessarily put a face on all of yeah. them. Yeah. But when you do couture, you kind of do it for that particular person. I know. It's so interesting to me it's that really, it's just that one. It's like a piece of art. It's per, it's so special. Yeah. It's like if you would cook a dish for someone who has specific, you know, wishes. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, yeah. Also. Yeah. That, that involves. Vegan You're a vegetarian, right? Yeah. There you go. Flexible vegan. <laughs> Flexible vegan. So if you had to describe your mother's style, you know, and, and as you perceived it growing up, how would you, what were your first impressions of the way she approached dressing and how did that shape how you think about clothes? I think it influenced me a lot because my mom, she, uh, I was born, like, she was 18 when I was born. So, I mean, she, wow. she was really a young mom and she was always into fashion and she still is. And um, the way she dressed always, I, it always stood out. Like it was, she was a bit of a punk in some way. You know, she had I her own yeah, rebellious way of like, well, if it was a mini skirt, it was way too mini. And then she would wear thigh high boots with it. You know, the worst thing. Because this that, is early 80s. This sounds like Balenciaga. <laughs> yeah. That was like, yeah, like mid. Yeah, that, yeah, there is a bit of Balenciaga. And she would come to school to like parents meetings dressed like that. And people would be like, where is your mom? Like, Oh, I love that. Fab. I think the tie high boots really is, <laughs> yeah. is Very part cool. of my design vocabulary. You've got a lot of good ones. Yeah. Very good ones. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of became a staple, I guess, thanks to those influences, including my mom. Yeah. The panta boot comes from mama. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was like an extended version. <laughs> <laughs> the panta boot comes from the idea of like, why do we have to have so many different things that we need to put on? Yeah. You know, it's Keep just it like simple. One, one step. One step and that's it. You know, that was a bit of a fun experiment. That Can you describe up. what the boot is that you're talking about? I mean, it's a fusion know. of pants and boots, hence panta boots. Am I right? Yeah. And you step into them, so you're just ready to go. That's it, yeah. You don't need to take off your shoes, take off your no. pants. It's like, yeah. I'm in. <laughs> and it's kind of cool, like, for the silhouette. You, you walk worn... into a home where you need to take your shoes off. For sure. Big problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what you need to, you like. You just better be wearing nice <laughs> better underwear. Better be wearing nice underwear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that in the process, definitely. <laughs> But sometimes I like like senseless fashion. Also, you know, I <laughs> yeah. think it's fun part of it. Yeah, like like having gloves on a on yeah, this, you know, where you can't type on your phone. It's just so fun. Yeah. Just like to have those things. I like the idea of it not being practical. I think or you a know, hood when you're going well, to eat at the Met Gala. Yeah, well, yeah, you don't just decide not to eat. I think that's, <laughs> a, that's what happens. <laughs> Demma, I've always been interested in the way you speak about how you have some social anxiety, you're shy, and how that sort of manifests it in itself in some of your designs. Like, for example, maybe wearing the face hood mm -hmm. or some of the coverings. Is that something that you're 
thinking about consciously or it's just sort of drips in? When it's part of you, it you know, you cannot really isolate it. It gets through and it becomes part of your work as well. For me, it was something that uh, all these elements that you've listed, I think it was really the way of protecting myself or, mm. you know, or, or kind of make it as comfortable as possible for me to be in public or to be in a, to be photographed even because I hate pictures of myself. So I had to find a solution. It was yeah. a very like personal, very subjective thing that actually ended up being translated into my aesthetic. But hmm. I really did it for myself to be okay with that situation that I'm not comfortable with naturally, even though I'm trying to work on it. I don't know much about how Christabel was and I don't know mm. how much you know and, and how much you know about how he managed mm-hmm. his role. And I, I mean, I only know about him from from people who, you know, who wrote about him or mm. people who know people from his family. And I've, I've exchanged a lot with this very small group of people about that. And because I'm really curious to understand there are certain like similarities that I also oh, wow. uh, see in uh, the, some personal traits of him. And from what I understand, he was a very private person who well, didn't like. He I was mean, never he only, photographed, right? Well, I think there were a few official pictures of right. him. And then there were a few like paparazzi pictures from him walking on the street, actually. yeah. <laughs> but pro- he was very uh, shy and did not like He didn't like it. And he only gave one or two interviews, I think, in his whole career. Wow. Yeah. The interview he gave, it was after he closed the house. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I really admire that a lot about my idea of him, that kind of privacy and, you know, being dedicated to his craft. I think that's really something that I look up the most in. And I really can relate to that a lot. I think we live in a different world today in which you can't just dedicate yourself to craft and like ignore Mm -hmm. the rest of the world. But back then it was possible. And I think he did it in a very, very elegant way, you know. It's true, you can't anymore, right? As a designer, you can't if you're... But you wouldn't want to because right. you want to like you want to absorb what's going on around. You know, right. I think it was a very... You can't you know, isolate yourself. Uh, yeah. But we don't really know much about him. Like, we don't know how, how tall he was. We don't know how his voice was. I it's, love that. It's very interesting, this whole enigmatic, you know, Maybe 100 persona. years from now, someone will Somebody be doing will a do podcast. AI. AI talk- thing. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, do a podcast hologram. talking about how we didn't know that much about Demna. We didn't know how tall he well, was. Well, there's a lot of stuff that leaked by now. So I guess AI will make a pretty accurate picture about me being not very, you know. Well, Demna, thank you so, so much yeah, for coming in. You. This was such a treat for us. Thank you. Yeah, that was a premiere you. for me, almost. So I'm. We I really yeah, enjoyed we're that. So, we're so excited that you agreed to do this, and it's really fun you. for us. Yeah, we've been we've been we've been talking about it for a long time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you. Both. I'm glad that you had fun. That's it for this episode of the Run Through. The Run Through with Vogue is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you next week. Bye. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. 
We've tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. <laughs> 